0: Thanks so much for being here at Wheatfield, at the jail, at Hebron. And online, and uh, I know many of you have been quarantining, and I want to thank you for being diligent about that. I know that that's hard, but thanks for making church a priority even in the middle of the quarantine. And uh, some of you just be chilling at home for no reason. Come back. We miss you. We want you. We'd love to have you. And uh, by God's grace, we still have not had uh, COVID transfer at this church as far as we know. And uh, I want to say thanks for keeping it safe here. Our social distancing um, efforts are working. I am so sick of masks. I miss your smiles, but I want to thank you for being diligent in your continued efforts. And uh, this is is a special one-week standalone series called I Love My Church. We do these every now and then to kind of talk about where we're at as a church. Normally, we build messages that sort of work with each other over several weeks, but this week is a standalone. And um, if you're new with us or you've been here for a long time, I'd like to remind you or let you know for the first time, this church is not actually that new. It's 127 years old. We were founded in 1893 and uh, we call ourselves First Church because we were one of the first churches in the region to bring the message of Jesus to this community. And it's kind of cool to look at our very first building and, you know, see how it's morphed over the years. And um, there have been a lot of pastors of this church. I'm not the original pastor. That was Reverend T.M. Vanden Bosch. Nobody knows what he sounded like. Hopefully he was great. Um, but then, you know, there have been lots of other pastors, and I'm one in a long string of them. this is actually the interview picture that I sent to the church when I was interviewing here um, seven years ago. And uh, my family and I moved here just to be the next in line. And uh, that video that you saw was the very first message that I ever got to preach here at this church as senior pastor. And uh, it's, it's just... Amazing to think about where God has brought us, and uh, God has blessed our time here, but I would say it wasn't because of things we did. Um, For the 10 years before we got here, the leadership team and my predecessor, John Huff, fought to make this a place where people far from God could be filled with life in Christ, and uh, by the time we got here, all my wife and I had to do was walk forward in the land that had already been cleared for us, and uh, we grew quickly. We went from less than a couple hundred people to well over a 1,000, and on our best Sundays, we would have well over 2,000 people in church. And now it's less again, but um, we're working and uh, we're going to get through this COVID pandemic. But uh, we built this building here in Wheatfield in 2016. I still remember that dedication Sunday. It was a really big day. God blessed it radically. And uh, in 2018, we began realizing that maybe we built this building too small. And uh, we were thinking about doing an addition off the back end. We had designed it so that would be an option. But uh, we didn't really want to have this this huge megachurch that didn't feel like it was connected to the community. And there's nothing wrong with megachurches. There's lots of them in the Bible. But what we wanted to do was build community churches in the heart of communities. And we wanted to go places no one else was going to reach people no one else was reaching. And after a lot of prayer, we actually decided to open a second location in Hebron. And we had the joy of dedicating that building on Friday night. This is from last Friday. um, And, uh, man, that was really fun. It was amazing to be there. If you were there, you know, God was present. I mean, it was a really special set of services. And uh, it turns out that Hebron, we learned this after the fact, but it turns out that Hebron and its community is one of the most unchurched communities in all of the Midwest. And we just... Again, fundraising and praying and hoping as a church, thinking about what it could look like, and um, over three million dollars was pledged above and beyond regular giving so that we could build that church that would reach generations. Because we didn't want to look back and say, you know, twenty years ago God was moving. What we wanted to do for each era of this church is say, God is moving amongst us today. So we built the building and then COVID happened, and then opposition happened. And all of a sudden, instead of growing and thriving, we were fighting for our survival. And I think the big question is, what do you do when you do all the right things, but things aren't going right? What do you do when you're trying to honor God and you're doing all these things, and you think He should be blessing your life, but He's not? I love my church, and I think this is a question that a lot of us might have personally, um, organizationally, on a career level. What I love about the Bible is the way it speaks to so many of today's. Issues And what we're going to do today is we're going to zoom in on a specific passage in Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 6. We're going to go through it verse by verse. So if you're at home or you're here, I'd encourage you to get out your Bible, whether that's on your phone um, or, you know, in your seat or whatever, um, and uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. The setting is um, Paul is traveling around starting churches in the continent of Europe. And uh, he actually left his home church in Antioch to do this. Antioch was a thriving church. They had thousands of people going there. But Paul just said, you know what, Um, we've done great here, but I think God has called us to bring churches to the heart of every community in um, the continent of Europe. So that's what he started doing. In Acts Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them. The Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Another translation actually says, Forbid them. And I think it's interesting that God actually opens and closes doors. I mean, so many of us were like, yes, I'm called to share Jesus all the time with everyone I talk to. That's not actually true. Now, I think most of us err on the side of caution where we don't share Jesus enough, but have you ever had that friend who it's like, oh my goodness, like, please don't make this awkward, and then they make it super awkward, and you're like, Jesus, if you had lightning come down from heaven and kill me at this moment, I would be very grateful to get me out of this experience. You know what I mean? It's just so awkward. It's that awkward, like, and, and, and Jesus says, don't do that. Like, we're called to be winsome and captivating, It's a big reminder to Christians, like, don't be awkward, right? Okay, verse 9, it says, That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. And I love this part. Now, obviously, it made sense for them at that time, geographically, where they were at to go to Asia... But instead, they took a detour. And all the data, I think, would indicate that Asia was a better place to go. It made a lot of sense to go to Asia. But instead, they went to the province of Macedonia in the city of Philippi, right? And I just think it's so cool that in spite of all the evidence, they listened to what God was calling them to do, and they were faithful in it. And I relate to it. As a church, because um, years ago, and I've not shared this with the church before, but it's kind of a, a cool story. Um, years ago, when we were thinking about, you know, would we want to do another location? Where would we do it? Blah, 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 blah. Um, we were pretty sure we wanted to go to Rensselaer, and we thought about it. We prayed about it. We said, hey, Rensselaer is going to make sense. We draw a lot of families, blah, 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 things and reasons, um, but uh, I figured, you know, since we're a church and stuff, maybe we should, like, pray, you know, and ask God and, and whatever, and so we did, and... Um, I remember I asked a few people that I respect who I really feel like um, are able to, to connect with God in some special ways to pray about it. One of them was my wife, and I remember we were sitting in bed one night, and um, she was praying, and, and, and she tapped my shoulder. She said, John, you know, it's kind of weird. I know you want to go to Rensselaer. I know you want to go south, but I was praying about this, and I just keep seeing a road sign, and it says, Hebron. Or something like that. Hebron, H-E-B-R-O-N. My like, that's a biblical city. That's cool. Um, do you mean Hobart? Because I've never heard of Hebron in this area. Like, I don't think it's in this area. She goes, No, I, I, it's, it, I'm, am confident. Like, I can see it in my mind's eye. It says Hebron. It's a green sign. It's a road sign. You know, it's Hebron. And uh, so we look it up. And I swear to you, we did not know where Hebron was. We didn't know it was one town next to us. So we look it up. I'm like, Kristen, it's like right next to us. It's crazy. I said, well, that's weird, you know, that, that, that God, you know, you think God showed you that, but we need him to confirm it. I need God to confirm it. So I asked two other people to pray about it. I didn't tell them anything. I just said, hey, would you pray about another location? You know, I know you're gifted in this way. Would you pray about this? And um, I didn't tell them who I'd asked uh, before, and they both knew I wanted to go south. One of them comes to me, and uh, she was real nervous, and she says, hey, Pastor, listen, I was praying about this, and um, I, I just, I saw a compass rose pointing north, and I know you want to go south, but I think that God is calling us north. And I thought, well, oh, that's cool, but, you know, I mean, God, you need to give someone a specific word. Like, I want to hear a word, okay? So then the other person comes up to me, and she was all nervous and blotchy, which I thought was pretty funny. You know, when people get real nervous, she was blotchy. And she's like, I know, I know you want to go to Rensselaer. I know you want to go south, but I feel like God has just put this word Hebron on my mind over and over and over again. And you can do what you want with it, but I just want you to know. And I thought that was really remarkable. Right, And I never told the leadership team or the church about this because I I thought it would be like bullying to be like, well, God done told me. I just said, God, if you want this to happen, would you build unity and momentum in our hearts to bring us to that place? And I thought it was really cool that ultimately God did. In verse 11 it says, we boarded the boat at Troas and we set sail. Even though the path to Asia seemed obvious, even though the path to Rensselaer seemed obvious, they go to Macedonia because God was calling them there. And I want to be that kind of faithful. I want that to be our church. I want it to be a place where, you know, God calls us and we go. And it makes sense. It's cool to see. So they have an early success there, which is pretty neat. They, they get to Philippi and Macedonia in verse 13. It says, on Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. Purple cloth was really expensive because purple dye It's almost non-existent in nature. You can only get it from a specific type of, I think it's a clam or a snail, and there's a very small yield from each one, and it's really expensive, right? So she deals in this really expensive stuff, and she worshiped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying, and she and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. And I think this is kind of cool. You know, they walk into the city, they don't know anybody, and they're like, uh... I mean, where do you want to go? I don't know, you want to go to the river? Yeah, well, there's some people there. Let's, uh, let's talk to them about God. And the first person they talk to chooses to become a Christian. Their whole family is saved. It's radical. It turns out she's well-connected within the city. And I think that's pretty neat. And what I also love about the Bible is most historical records from antiquity would choose to redact the fact that it was a woman that they talked to. Because women were not held in esteem. But the Bible tells things the way that they happened I love the Bible because of that. And I also love the Bible because it continually and consistently elevates women. And the reason why women have a voice in society today, the reason why women are not considered property or um, sex objects or slaves is because of the teachings of Jesus. And again, that's pretty remarkable that that's your legacy. Even if you're not a Christian, if you are a woman, you have Jesus to thank and his word to thank for your rights in society today. Pretty cool. So the first time they go up there, they get these amazing results. An influential woman and her whole family are saved, and they're excited. And I feel like this is sort of how it went for us in Hebrew, too. God called us there, and uh, he made a way for us, and I remember driving up there and seeing this perfect building, you know, it was in this shopping center, and it's really good location, and, um, you know, it ended up that there was um, a grocery tenant that was looking at getting the building and had it under contract, but it ended up falling through because the feasibility study came back as marginal, and, you know, there had been several other tenants that considered it, but it looked like this building might actually go to ruin, and uh, so we were interested in it, and uh, we talked to the city council, and they were like, yeah, go for it. So that was cool. And then some influential people from some influential places started connecting with our church, and some of them chose to follow Jesus. And I really relate to Paul in this sense. Like, it was it was really cool. We just showed up, and, and God was moving. So the story keeps going in verse 16. It says, one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Now, the implication later is that it's, it's a demon. But she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes, and she followed Paul and all the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High. God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So, you know, I mean, kind of awkward, right? Kind of awkward. Sometimes that's how the devil works, I think, literally making things awkward. It's just a reminder, again, Christians, like, don't be weird. Be winsome and captivating. My wife says that all the time. John, stop being weird. I'm like, honey, it's just, you know, this is, you know, whatever. All right, so I remember talking with this person I met at a restaurant one time. And uh, they were far from God, and the conversation was like going well, and um, we were connecting, and they asked me what I did for a living, and I always try and redirect, you know, because I'm a pastor, and then things get weird, right? So I'm just talking to them, and I could tell we were connecting, and uh, the subject went to life after death, right? And they were really wondering, and they had recently lost a family member, and we were just talking, and... I had some stuff to say, and we were just sharing and connecting, and I thought, God, man, maybe this person is going to choose to follow you. Then from nowhere, somebody who doesn't go to our church and isn't really connected with this community, but, you know, is on the periphery, um, they came to me, and they said, "Um, Pastor John, I just want to tell you, you have the anointing of God upon you, and I see you're talking, but I just want you to know God's Spirit's in you, and and I know you just keep preaching the gospel to them lost sinners, because they need to need it, because, you know, I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. And so you just keep preaching the gospel, and the anointing of God is on you, brother, and I want you to, hey, that's, uh... I want to die. Like, thank you for that. That's great. Um, and uh, then he left. And I, normally I'd be very appreciative, but like it totally ruined that conversation. Right? It totally ruined that conversation. person looked at me and they're like, you're, you're a pastor? I'm like, let's just, let's just get back to what we were talking about. But the moment, the moment was lost. This is what's happening to Paul. Every time he connects with somebody, this lady is following them and she's just shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. And sometimes Satan doesn't lie. He just, he just makes it awkward. Right? He just makes it... Awkward. In verse 18, it says this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Can you imagine that? Like I think a lot of times we read over that and we're like, yeah, that's what happened. But I mean, this woman went from mentally ill, being used and abused by her masters, enslaved, vulnerable, to clear-minded and free in the name of Jesus, in that moment. Like, it's a miracle set free from all of it. It's kind of remarkable. And, you know, um, when I was young, I didn't really, like, believe that this sort of stuff still happened. You know, I questioned it, whatever. And um, uh, as I've gotten older, I've, I've actually gotten to see some of this, you know, and it's not that common in my life. But since I was 25, um, where it happened the first time, I've probably seen about 10 people um, who have, like, dealt with, like, demonic oppression or possession. And uh, I remember, One time in particular, this doesn't always happen this way, but um, this lady I'd known for a long time. She had a a long battle with, you know, mental illness and addiction and broken relationships and just a lot of issues. Um, She came into the church I worked at in Minnesota, and uh, she wanted some prayer, and we were praying with her, and all of a sudden, like, this demonic spirit began manifesting in some pretty strange ways, and I was like, well, so this is weird, you know, that this is happening right now, and you're like, what do you do, you You know? So we're like, I mean, in the name of Jesus, we command you to leave, and it, like, wasn't, and we were talking for a long time, and I had a prayer friend, um, she was there with us, and we're praying with this lady. And um, eventually we, we realized, man, she had unforgiveness from something that had happened to her as a child. And we just challenged her to forgive that person. And it was radical that she did, but she did. And then we said, in the name of Jesus, we command this demon to leave. And it did. And I mean, she was radically transformed. She went from a lifetime of, of, of extreme dysfunction and mental illness to completely free and changed and set free in the name of Jesus. And I just think it's so remarkable the way that Jesus did that. You know, and we read this passage, and we just think, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, Paul did. I want you to know this woman's life was transformed. Amazing things happened. Paul, in the name of Jesus, sets this woman free, and she's blessed, she's called, she's healed, she's made whole, and she's saved in Jesus' name. It's amazing to me that there is power in Jesus' name, but there is power in Jesus' name. I remember the first time I ever encountered, like, this demonic spirit, I was, um, at my church in Minnesota, uh, working as, like, an assistant pastor there. And um, this dude comes in right before Easter, and and he was very clearly, like, movie-style like manifesting a demonic presence, and it was like, I mean, this is this is scary, and um, it became very clear that he was about to beat me up. He was coming over the seat to like beat me up, but I'm a lover, not a fighter. I mean, look at these wrists. These were made for hugging, not hitting, you know, and I'm like, so I'm going to die now. Like, I don't know. I mean, this is going to be bad, and my pastor comes around the corner at that time, like in a nick of time, you know, there was some weird hollering that this guy was doing, and he comes around the corner, and he says, in the name of Jesus, I bind you to that chair, and this dude, like bound to the chair. I was like, oh, But there's power in Jesus' name. There's power in Jesus' name. And I want this church to understand that. Like, we serve a God who is real, and there's power in his name. It is the teachings of Jesus that have brought dignity to human life. Do you understand that human life wasn't seen as valuable, that murder wasn't seen as that big a deal until the teachings of Jesus came? Like, women weren't valued. Children. The reason why pedophilia is looked down upon in our society and seen as abhorrent is because of the teachings of Jesus. It was and is rampant in the world where the teachings of Jesus are not prevalent. Even today, as the teachings of Jesus recede from American society, we see that practice beginning to come back up again. It is the teachings of Jesus that have brought dignity to human life, emancipated slavery. If you don't like slavery, I want you to understand Jesus ended that. So Paul does this great miracle. And people should be rejoicing. He had the best of intentions. This woman is healed and set free and made whole. But in verse 19, it says, Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. All she was was money to them. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. This whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. What's crazy is Paul had like good intentions. He did a good thing. He does this great thing for this woman. And you would think that the city would be like, wow, that was remarkable. But instead they go, you know, to Facebook, Philippi Chatter, Philippi Unofficial and Original. They go to TikTok Snapchat, start posting updates, you know, just saying, oh man, you know, Paul, this creep dealing with these women, why did he heal this woman? What we needed was a good fortune teller in town. You know what I mean? I don't want to go to Valpo to get my fortune told. I wish I had, I could get, you know, right here. It used to be local. I could just get my fortune told in town. And, you know, why is he starting a mega church? Didn't they already have a mega church down with Lydia by the river? Why are they bringing one to the middle of the town? And we don't need more of those. And it's amazing to me how you can have the best of intentions and you can do the nicest things, but people can find a way. To get angry about it, it's nothing new. Paul faced it two thousand years ago. We'll face it today. Have you guys ever had a situation like that in your life, where you know you take your wife on a date and it's like elaborate and nice and kind, and at the end of it she finds a way to like say like you don't love me, and it's like I, I mean I literally just took you on this elaborate. How do you you give your kid a wonderful birthday party? It's amazing, and at the end of it he's just like so upset that it wasn't like this way, and it's like I mean I'm just like why how. You help out at work, you go above and beyond, and at the end, you get reprimanded for it. It's like, what? What? This is Paul. He tried to do the right things, but it wasn't rewarded. And now the story takes a a dark turn. In verse 22, it says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and, and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely, the text says, severely, severely beaten. And they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Now they're beaten and imprisoned. They were faithful to God's call. And it's so frustrating, right? I mean, they went to the town that was so counterintuitive. They should have gone to Asia. But they went to Philippi and Macedonia. They made it there. They knew that the calling of God to great adventure in their life was there. They were faithful. They went. They had initial success. They did wonderful things. And now they're beaten beyond recognition. Don't let the text sanitize it for you. They were beaten with wooden rods. We know today that that is called caning, and uh, it is such a painful method of torture that oftentimes people who are caned will have PTSD. I mean, we've all seen pictures of people who have been beaten. You know what I'm talking about. Faces unrecognizable, eyes swollen shut, mouth and lips huge, you know, ears like sucked inside of their head. I mean, just, that's Paul and Silas right there, sitting in a dank, damp, dark prison cell full of feces and urine, crowded with other forgotten prisoners that day and age. Prison was not nice. It was a place where people went to die. Have you ever had something like that happen? You did things that you just thought were so good. And it turned out terrible. You followed God faithfully. And you were persecuted for it. You, you raised the kids as best you could. You trained them up in the way they should go. And now you never see them and they resent you and they're rude. And, and, and they're, just, they're just far. They're just in rebellion. You showed up and you brought your best every day at work. And, and you really went for it. And, and you did everything you could. And now you're dismissed and, and forgotten after years. And you look at the wreckage of a dream that you once had. You say, God, what happened? To quote the great band Lincoln Park, you tried so hard and you got so far, but in the end, it, it didn't even matter. I think in a lot of ways, I look at COVID right now and I feel shackled and beaten. It was sort of this black swan moment, you know? I mean, we were looking at Hebron and here are the best projections and here are the worst projections and whatever. And it turned out like the worst projections did not include a pandemic. Some of you made some business investments or some business decisions where you planned on and whatever, and all of a sudden, lumber goes way up in price or this or that or the commodity and this, and and dreams are delayed or destroyed. It's like, God, what in the world? Like, I was so faithful to you. I I did what you wanted me. I tried so hard. For so many of us, you're just sitting there and you're mad, mad. God, it's, it's not even fair. Like, what's wrong? It's not fair. This is ridiculous. Can you imagine how Paul felt? I mean, Paul, this dude... It was corrupt. It was wrong. He was being discriminated against unfairly, unreasonably by the secular society that hated his religion. He was only trying to do good. He was, he was working to end extremely terrible sexual practices. It's amazing to me in our secular society today, we advocate for secular, uh, sexual practices that, that systematically hurt women and children, right? I mean, that's what's happening. We know all of that is here. This has happened before, and yet this is what we advocate for. Paul was ad- advocating for the rights of children and babies, he was trying to end enslavement in, in, in society that punished women. And what he gets in return is hate, religious hatred. Have you ever felt that way? Paul is a victim on every single level, Right? And he has the right to be. I mean, he is the ultimate victim. And he could sit there and say, you know what? I'm going to make my victim my identity. And what I'm going to do is make an intersexual coalition of, 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 of victims who can sit here and complain about how bad life is and we can do this and how terrible and whatever. And we're going to. But how does Paul respond? This is so interesting. This is so interesting. Instead of embracing a victim identity, verse 25 here, probably the most profound verse in the entire book of Acts. It's really remarkable. This is what happens, right? All of this bad stuff happened. And then around midnight, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. In the midst of the worst possible time, they're singing praises in prison. In a rat-infested, moldy prison cell. Water dripping. People moaning and shouting. Around midnight, these guys' faces swollen and bruised. Feet in stocks. In great pain. It went from going to really good things to, to really bad things. And they're just praying, and suddenly Paul just starts singing. I mean, this dude has had the worst day. Like Alexander and his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day have nothing on Paul and Silas' day. Their day was, like, real bad. He just starts praising God. At midnight, it says at midnight, at midnight. What is midnight? I mean, for some of you, this is when the party starts. But back in that day, dark dark was done. There was no light. I mean, midnight was the worst time. It was the worst time. If you were up at midnight, it was bad. It's a time where there is no hope anymore. Midnight is the moment where your faith is dying. Midnight is that time where you're up at night and your mind is just running. How could God come through? Where is God in this? I've been so faithful, but where is God now? That's midnight. At midnight, it says all the other prisoners were listening. All the other, and it's so interesting to me, in, in, in the midnight of our greatest struggles, at midnight when you are burying the patriarch of your family. At midnight, when your health is faltering, or your life is floundering, or your business is shutting down, that's when people listen to you, that's when people watch you, that's when everyone is watching, and normally that's when we crumble. But Paul, it was his finest hour. With a hoarse voice, in a horrendous prison cell, Paul just starts singing, and I'm I'm not a great singer, but I, I want you to imagine it with me. He starts singing, God, you're so good. God, you're so good, God, you're so good, you're so good to me. And suddenly, suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. In the worst possible moment, one of the darkest moments of his life, they praise, God, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. And it's amazing to me that those words, those words were even able to be uttered. Praise preceded the breakthrough. It was praise that preceded the revival. That's how God moved. In verse 29, it says, The jailer called for lights, and he ran to the dungeon, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want what you have. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him. And with all who lived in his household, they said, hey, look, here's the truth. God created heaven and the earth, and and we chose sin, and sin separates us from God. There is no other way to be saved besides Jesus. No other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's power in his name. We call on his name, and we turn from sin. They say, there's a belief that saves you, but it's a belief that's so deep it results in a changed life. And that's where Christianity begins. Will you do that? Will you do that?" They're like, yes, we want that. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized at midnight near a jail cell in Philippi. He brought them to his house and set a meal before them and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. I remember when I first believed in God, I did rejoice. I mean, this is real. I thought this is real. There's a hope for eternity and it's not just superstition like the data is in. We can see this. We know for a fact God is real. I just remember rejoicing. I love this story, though, because it was the middle of the night. It was the middle of the night that God moved. It was the worst part that God moved. And I just think in our lives, in the middle of the grieving, in the middle of the financial burden, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the rainstorm, in the middle of online school, when you want to strangle your kids, that's when God moves. And the revival began with rejoicing. Maybe you don't know your church history, but the the church in Philippi would be among the first and perhaps the greatest of the early churches its impact certainly is a part of all of our spiritual legacies. And it was through Paul's faithfulness that the founding members of that church were reached. It never would have happened unless Paul was willing to do things no one else was doing to reach people no one else was reaching. By his faithfulness, it was Lydia at the Riverside. It was the demon-possessed woman in the town square And it was the jailer in the dungeon. They were transformed by the gospel of Jesus. They became the founding members of that church because he listened to the spirit of God. They were in a city they never should have been to, sharing the gospel with people they never had thought to. And nothing went according to plan. It seemed like all was lost, but at midnight in a jail cell, they just started singing and praying. He has this legendary faith, this legendary faith. And I know a lot of you are like, that's great. I mean, he's Paul, how did he do it? I mean, I want that. I'd love to be able to do that, but you know, I mean, it's hard, John. I hear you. This dude does have a legendary faith. He has a faith that is deeper, a resolve that is stronger in the darkest moment. His heart is still full of joy. How, 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 how? And I've got some some really fast thoughts on this that might help you. Just some observations about what Paul has that maybe we could have to have that kind of stalwart faith. Firstly, they were they were living in God's mission for their life. They saw God's role in their plan. In, in their life, in every purpose. You know what I mean? Like they saw that they were called to this generation after generation work, this great commission sharing God's word with everyone they met. And they knew that God's mission was at the riverside. But they knew that generation after generation was also in the town square. And they knew that generation after generation was also in the prison. And I think it's so important because so many of us, we think, well, God's mission is in this context of our life. But no, 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 it's in every context of our life. We're always sharing Jesus, no matter where we're at. Number two, they had tasted the grace of God. This is such a big deal. They were brilliantly and wonderfully saved. Perhaps Paul thought it was an irony that he was sitting in the very prison cell that he had been throwing Christians into before he was saved. I think when you're enduring hard times, it becomes much easier to endure them when you remember God's grace in your life. And I don't actually think we can love like God loved us until we receive his love, until we admit, man, I am a sinner. I am wretched, and I need the grace of Jesus in my life. That's where love and endurance and faith truly begins. Number 3 this is a big one they um they actually knew God. They had a vibrant deep relationship with God, not some shallow understanding, but a deep living faith that was daily. I think for so many of us we call on Jesus in the valley and we feel like he's not there. That's because we weren't following him on the mountaintop and in everything in between. A deep vibrant vibrant faith is an enduring faith and God calls us to that in all things at all times. The fourth reason the fourth reason I think their faith endured and this is My favorite is um, they had witnessed the power of God their faith wasn't like a 15 years ago I did a living fire Bible study and you know I saw God move back then. Their faith was living and vibrant now. They witnessed the power of God now. And that's what I love about continuing to do things like we're doing, right? Why do we do these big events? Why would we do a new location in Hebrew? Why do we focus on making the future better than the past? Why do we want to do this so bad? Because I want the goodness of God to be imminent in our lives now. I don't want to look back at a golden era and say that was when. I want to look at today and say I saw a miracle of God today in our life. Today I want to do life groups focused on discipling people and grace is messy, but I want you to see the miracles of God. I want us to do big events where we see God move in people's lives. See, they remember God's story not last year, not last decade, but yesterday. I just imagine them 1130 at night in this jail cell, voices hoarse, bruised and beaten, Paul being like, Silas, do you remember Lydia? Yeah, man, I remember Lydia. Her whole family saved in Jesus' name. Paul be like, "Yeah, Transform city leaders. I mean, revival's breaking out. Like, do you think that could be that could be why God brought us here? Yeah, man, it's worth it. God's good. I mean, God is so He's so good. He's so good, right?" And Silo says, "Hey, Paul, do you, do you remember the city square?" Paul's like, "Yeah, how could I forget it? That demon-possessed woman. I mean, she was broken, and she became free and clear-eyed in a moment because of the name of Jesus. How could I forget? Yeah, I remember." I mean, God is so good. He's so good. In a jail cell, they were just remembering God's faithfulness, God's goodness, remembering his His sovereign lordship over every situation. He did that, and he also did this, and he's still good. When you look at your life, are these things present? If your faith is struggling, I would ask you, which of these things are missing? I think for so many of us, you know, it used to be, and I was, and at this time, and at this place, I used to, I would ask you, get on a mission for God. Confess sin in your life. Taste the grace. It's real. His forgiveness is real. Know God daily. Pursue Him daily. And live a life where you're going to see His miracles, like actually take risks for Christ and His kingdom. If you're having a tough time in your faith, if this is a dark moment, I would just, I would ask you to not deal with it tomorrow. I would ask you to, to deal with it today. So I'm going to do one of these things today. I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to lead my wife, my children. I'm going to lead them in a discussion today. We are going to do something about this because I want a faith that endures at midnight in the jail cell as well as from the mountaintop. As we close, I I want to ask you guys to stand. And I'd ask the band to come out on stage too. But don't take my TV away. I need it for just a moment. You can come out, but I, I need my TV. I'll tell you when you can take it. I don't know what's gonna happen next week, next month, or next year. But I will tell you, I really hate 2020. I'm mean, gonna hate it. I'm sick of politics. I'm sick of masks. I'm so sick of masks. I'm sick of this pandemic. And it's like, man, really? Middle of the summer 2021 now? Is that what you're saying? This is ridiculous. I'm sick of fake news. I'm sick of not knowing who's telling the truth. I'm sick of extreme statements. I'm sick of people saying this is and this and that. And it's like, Rod, stop. Like this, why? And why so mean? You know, I'm, I'm sick of it. And on my, on my worst days, on my worst days, I don't know if you're with me, but um, I keep yearning for what was. Remember the way it used to be, Bree? Remember back when things were like normal and, and we could see each other smile? Do you remember what that was like when we could see facial expressions? I mean, do you remember back in the day when this room was full and we had all this stuff? And I just can't wait till we can get back to normal, right? That's what, I can't wait to get back. That's what we keep saying. That's what we keep saying. And, you know, it's kind of tragic because... Um, we're never, ever, ever going to get back to what was. That's just not the way it works in human life. We never. That's, it, the past is always the past. We're never going to be able to get back to that at any stage in life. That's just not the way that it works. I think that, you know, we might get past the pandemic, but it's not going to be like it was because it never is. And I just want us to have the courage as a community to live in what is, but not to sit here and say, well, it is what it is. Got friends like that? It is what it is. Okay? i got plenty of those in my eye. it is what it is. I don't want that. I don't want, to, I don't want to just live in what it is. I want us to have a vision to fight for what can be. I just want that to be my mentality. Like I'll look at it, and that's what I love about Paul and Silas. They're in this jail cell, and they're sitting here, and it's not good, and it is what it is, but they have the courage and vision to say, but this is what it can be. This is what it will be in the name of Jesus because of his grace in our lives. I think there might be some of you today. I just encourage you to begin shifting your mentality. Yeah, we live in what is, but we have the courage to see what it can be in Jesus' name. We look at this region, this community. We look at Hebron. We look at Jasper County. We look at Lake and Porter County. I believe that God wants to do a great work, and I see what can be in Jesus' name. I see what God can do when heaven comes down to earth. With COVID numbers rising, with national uncertainty, I just want to remind you that God can do great things through you when you let him. And God has a mission for our lives. Now you can take this. God has a mission for our lives to see generation after generation become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And it's our call and our time to carry that load. And I look at our church, we've been through a lot of things. 127 years, two world wars, a great depression, lots of different things. Prohibition, think about that. I mean, the CRC is still going through that. But I mean, listen, we've been through a lot of different things and it's our time to carry the load. The grace of God is upon us right now. And I just wanna challenge you to pursue him and to love him. This year for me feels a lot like a prison cell. I feel like I'm watching so many things happen and I can't do anything about it. In the midst of it, I just I wanna be singing in my heart that God is still good. I just wanna start declaring that God is still good and I don't wanna yearn for what was, I wanna live in what is and I wanna believe for what can be. And I wanna remember that it is praise that brings about the revival. It is faith in God's promises that brings about the goodness of God in our own hearts. And as a church, I just want us to sing that good old ballad, God is So Good. I want us to sing it together, and I want us to praise the revival into this place. Let's sing together.